Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today for our sermon recap. We try to do this each and every week. Uh, gets posted on Wednesday. We do it on Monday morning so that our brains can try to somewhat remember the sermon uh, from yesterday. But hopefully it's good for you to listen, to refresh your mind a little bit, to be thinking about the message and the series that we're doing. We started a new series this week um, talking about uh, giving stewardship is what we're eventually going to get to or the word that we like to use is a little better is generosity. Um, not sure how long it'll it'll go, but plan it being uh, quite a few weeks. Uh, this week, our focus uh, in in thinking about that, <clears throat> I think the first place that we need to go is talking about God's generosity. Uh, one of the books that we're using that I've been using to read to to help with some thoughts in this area is Chad Bird's book, "My Cup Runneth Over." which if you're at our church, it is available at the bookstall for you to grab if you want to grab it. I think a couple people grabbed it yesterday. Uh, we saw a few go. Nice, easy book to read. It's not very big at all. Uh, could be done very quickly. But it was just helpful in thinking about specifically God's generosity uh, and how generous he has been to us. And the first place we go with that is looking at creation, which we've kind of been doing for the last few weeks in the Psalms that we've been in. Uh, that kind of rolled over into this week, uh, thinking about how generous God has been to us in in just creation. And so when you read the account in Genesis 1, verses 1 through 25, you read the creation story, at least the first part of it, the first uh, six days, and you see God... Uh, creating, speaking, and things are, are being done. Day one, you have light and dark. Day two, the sky. Day three, dry land, seas, plants, and trees. Day four, the sun, the moon, the stars. Day five, sea creatures, flying animals. Day six, land animals. Um, did, did any of you guys uh, in school, in seminary, or uh, Bible college at all have anything specifically with Genesis or uh, create like this part of Genesis, like where you got to spend quite a bit of time studying it. Do you guys have any, any of that at all? I didn't. Mm -mm. No. It was more like a, no, it was just an overview old Testament yeah. survey. Yeah. Old right. Testament survey. Yeah. Yeah. I think I took a class on the Pentateuch, the, you know, the first five books, but not like in detail with Genesis one. Two. What literary style is Genesis one to you guys? Poetic. You think? I would say narrative. narrative just because I've heard people say both. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that my professor that I took, he he said it was poetry. That's really, what he was advocating mm. for. Yeah. Um, that might be kind of what I would think, just because what I what I don't think you have here is like you don't have a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have a lot of full, which which we like to dabble in. You know, I mentioned uh, the Creation Museum and stuff, mm -hmm. which I've I've been to, and I think it's um, now it's kind of expensive, honestly. But mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's an interesting place to go, uh, and I think that's uh, I think it's fine to wonder, but I think it's also okay to sit and say, well, this is what God has given us, and this is creation. The, this is this is what we have, and when you again when you step back from the story and you think of what is happening here. You see God preparing everything, uh, and it's all working out, and it seems like it's coming to this big crescendo, this big point. And after 
after verse 25, when you get to verse 26 and the rest of the uh, chapter, is all of a sudden he makes man. And he makes man in his image, which is different than everything else that he's created so far. Everything he's created was was good and has been done right and was set in order in its place. But when he when he creates man in his image and sets him in his place, he tells him, all of this I've created uh, for you. There's there's food. There's You are to subdue this. You are to have dominion over all of this. And there is a special, a specialness to the creation of, of man. And uh, one of the things that Chad Bird brings out in his book is just how that is showing God's loving care for man and his generosity to man is all of this stuff I've created is actually with you in mind. It's, it's for you so that you can live here well, right? So that you can prosper here, so that you can see the love that I have for you and the care that I have for you. That's why, that's why all of this exists. And I just wonder how often we think of creation that way. Um, I said a, a statement in the sermon. I wish I could remember. Uh, the whole world's out to get me. I hear that mm-hmm. way more often. And I think that in my own head way more often than I ever think, actually, this whole world was made for my good. <laughs> it just doesn't cross my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> why do you think that's a, a struggle for us as Christians, I guess, to to know that, but also to live in light of that, that all of this actually is created for good. Because that's where we ended up getting to at the end, looking at Romans 8 and uh, the promise that all things are working together for good for those who love God. Uh, and that's a promise, and that is a true statement. Uh, why do we why do we struggle with that? Why do we maybe not feel that all the time? Why do we not sense that all the time? What is what is getting in the way? And maybe practically, how do we how do we uh, live in light of that better? I guess. What do you guys think? I think part of it. I was thinking about this, you know, <clears throat> from your sermon. Is part of it is maybe even kind of our evangelical kind of past you know as far as like I, I, even and you probably know this spencer probably more than myself but even like the, in the puritan idea um there's a lot of like oh like i think cotton mather was you know noted for saying you know this life of misery you know this world of of misery and it's like it's it's all about heaven you know and obviously we want to set our affections above or or as it says in Colossians. But I think there's almost been this idea passed down of like, you know, let's just get through this life, bare knuckle it. It's it's really hard. It's really painful. And then finally we're released from this body of death, you know, and, and that's obviously scriptural too. But I think there's been that view that's a little bit sometimes maybe off. It's off balance. Whereas like and I think C. S. Lewis has helped me personally just understanding the beauty of, of God's creation and, you know, enjoying God's creation and the goodness that he has given us here in this earth and not just being like, oh, this is like, oh, this world is awful and it's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket and we just can't wait for heaven, you know? And mm-hmm. so there's that balance there. And I think part of it from our past has come down from maybe the Puritan um, kind of idea. On, and obviously in that day and age, you know, there was a lot you know, people didn't live as long and there was a lot of sickness and a lot of bad things going on, war and so forth. And so I get it, but I think it's been a little maybe misconstrued. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? <clears throat> I don't know. I think um, probably most people, 
I think we don't we don't talk about creation a lot, um, and we're seeing the fruits of that. Uh, there's also um, something of a. Uh, the there was the ancient heresy of gnosticism mm-hmm. which was the heresy it, which was a a tendency it was it was like a a tendency uh, to separate the body and the soul to the extent that the body was bad matter was bad mm-hmm. stuff yeah. was bad soul was good and right away we see in the creation account that stuff is matter is not bad god took the time to make the stuff so therefore, our bodies are not bad. Our um, the physical world is not bad. Um, God loves the dirt, the worms. He loves us. He made us this way, and um, he loves material stuff. And I think that's a helpful uh, place to begin, uh, because um, and uh, one other thing as well then, and so whenever people think about the the um, next life, the next world, oftentimes, I, I don't know what people often have in their minds as to what that looks like, but I don't know that so many of us have the idea that it's going to have trees and grass mm-hmm. and dirt. The new earth. And, and yeah, and mm-hmm. oxygen, and we're going to have skin and bones and a heart that pumps. That's what eternal life looks like only without sin. So we are going, we, Jesus, whenever he rose from the dead, still had a body. Mm-hmm. It was a glorified body, but the his old body wasn't left in the tomb. It was raised. So I guess there's just something there that I think um, sometimes we haven't really just thought about heaven and we haven't thought about creation and then we haven't thought about heaven. And what that does then is it makes us... Um, <clears throat> forget the good things that God has given us to do here. For instance, you know, uh, sometimes in our effort to be very spiritual people, you know, like Luther would talk about vocation, which means after you're saved, what does God, where does God put you in your life um, to live a life of gratitude? And he would talk about how, you know, you become a good, you, for instance, if you're a shoemaker, right, we've talked about this. You don't become a good shoemaker and honor the Lord by putting crosses in all your shoes. You do it by being a good shoemaker. What is that doing right away? It's recognizing the goodness of creation itself. And sometimes we we as Christians are made to feel guilty if we say, oh, all I do is, is do this or that, and I'm not actually involved in ministry. Well, the reality is, is God regards those things as very good. Creation by itself is good. And uh, that gives dignity to our ordinary jobs. Um, even whenever we're not there necessarily always proclaiming the gospel. And I think there's just some of those components that have all mixed together to um, make us uh, forgetful of the good gifts God has given to us and uh, forgetful to then what it means to live as a Christian in a world that's tainted with sin, but was originally made good by a good God who loves material world, the material world, and who is going to remake the material world um, to uh, be a, a brand, brand new and renewed heavens and earth in the in the next world. So I don't know. There's just some rambling thoughts. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's I think it's good, right? And we are to see that. I was thinking as you guys were talking, uh, how every again everything is created for for us to enjoy, even. Even when uh, when God created Eve, right? It was for 
there was a there was a part of that that was for enjoyment, to enjoy each other, right? It said, "Be fruitful, multiply, uh, inhabit the earth." So, like every aspect of creation was geared towards man. And remember, we're thinking about the generosity of God in this, and how how kind He has been to give us all these things. Now, yeah, sin has tainted creation. That's what I was going to say. Is like you know part of the reason why I think. We can look at scriptures and say, yes, <clears throat> creation is good. God, you know, in, in a way designed it for us to enjoy um, and to have that as a gift. But, you know, we even read from Romans 8, uh, you did in the sermon, but uh, in Romans 8, starting in verse 18, it talks about how even creation was corrupted because of sin, right? And so God's good gift to us, we still experience that through the the lens of, of the presence of sin, not only having corrupting us and our hearts, but also the very creation itself to where, you know, Romans uh, 8 there says that even creation is waiting mm-hmm. eagerly for the revealings of the, of the sons of God for to be remade itself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this, this good gift that God has given us, we experience it still in a way that is tainted by sin. Now, God is good enough to us to still give us experiences of his creation that are still good and God glorifying that we still look and see the evidence of him there, though it's tainted by sin. Um, but it, it itself is even eagerly waiting. And so I would say that's why we sometimes, you know, look at, like you said earlier of, man, I'm just ready to be done with this world, you know? And I think really what we, if we were thinking more carefully about it, we would think, man, I'm ready to be done with the sin in this world. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. ready for this world to be made perfect again, Mm -hmm. you know, so that, uh, so that we can experience it the way that God wants us to experience point. it. Well, there's a reason why we have the book of Lamentations, right? That There's a reason why we have psalms that are just crying out to God of hurt and pain. That is, that is real. But I think sometimes we allow that to distract us from the point that there is still good, though, in creation. Yeah. There still is a purpose to it. As like what you were talking about there in Romans 8, it does say all of that about creation. It's groaning. But yet you still get down to... 828 that says but yet all this is working for your for your good mm-hmm. um and that's true i think i think uh that verse has been abused so much that some people now try to hide from that verse and just talk it away like well good you got to define good and and that is true but they try to define it in such a way that it gets more in line dave with what you had said of like good only means heaven mm-hmm. i don't know how true that is it's it's actually more than that. It's all good, all of our good. And so as Christians, I think we have to have a proper perspective of there is lamentation. There is that for sure. Uh, but there's also plenty of praise. There's also this Genesis account of creation that we have. There's so much in the Bible that tells us the goodness of God and how loving he is and and how we can see that just in people around us, just in... Uh, in this created world that he has given us. And I think it's something for us to contemplate more and to, and to think about more. Uh, we read Psalm 104. I don't want to read Psalm 104. It's, it's a long Psalm, but it goes really well with the Genesis account of creation. As David is talking about uh, God's generosity in creation, because he says how he's put everything in place. But then he talks about how God is the one who provides everything for, for it all. So food, you know, care, uh, shelter, all these things come from God's generosity and his kindness to us. And 
as you read Psalm 104, it really, it really reads that way, and it's a, a beautiful picture of that. And so we spent a little bit of time in Psalm 104 uh, reflecting on that, how, how God's goodness is there ever, ever since the beginning, and it continues to remain, allowing us to eat and to breathe and to think and all those different things. This is part of his plan that continues to unfold um, perfectly. And then I went to uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, where we see uh, the writer of Hebrews talk about creation and kind of how it was done. And he says creation was, uh, it was created through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that it is been, it is upheld still by the power of Christ's word. And so when we think, again, thinking about God being generous, he created all things through Jesus, who, which we'll talk about more this week, thinking about God's generosity, who would come to give the greatest gift to mankind, right? Uh, salvation, justification through his blood. But it was created, all created through him. Uh, everything was done through him. That's something to contemplate, I think, for a little bit and think about. Uh, but then on top of that, the only reason it still works, right? The only reason, the only reason physics works is because Jesus upholds it all by his power. They, he created it. You know, the only reason, you know, there's the speed of light and uh, if you, you know, whatever you want to say about science, all these different things, mathematics, the reason the sun still comes up, the tides, the ocean's tides, the reason all of this function is because Jesus, by his power, continues to uphold it and maintain it. And that shows, again, God's generosity because he doesn't have to do that. Because I asked the question, uh, maybe you guys can, what does God gain from any of this? The very beginning, Genesis 1, what does God gain for creating all this? You know, what, is, what does God gain as you read throughout Scripture? What, what part of it shows that he is earning value or he's getting a return on his investment in what he created? I don't think you're going to find that. He's not gaining anything. And so then the question is, well, why is he why is he doing this? Why do we have all of this? It shows a loving, generous God who is pouring yeah. this out. It's just an expression of who he is. Yeah. No one would actually just do something just to be kind. Yeah. Right. But that's the only being who actually ever really did that is God. Yeah, the I rest think, of I us think we talked about that before are always looking for something, but he actually yeah. just does it. I think um, we talked about that before. Yeah. I don't know if it was a podcast or what, but just everything we do, no matter how pure our heart is in it, there always is a, a seed of sin, usually yeah. somewhere in there of, well, if I don't do it, they're going to get mad at me, mm -hmm. you know, or maybe someone will see me or my own conscience. I just don't want to feel this on my conscience. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go and do this. There's always something there. You're exactly right. And even apart from sin, we are still finite. And mm -hmm. um, uh, God is the only one who really is complete in himself. Mm -hmm. So if you were to say, well, he gains X, Y, or Z, you're saying that he was incomplete, which would then make him not God. Right. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he is perfectly complete and satisfied and infinite in himself means there's nothing he gains by us. All that he gains is, uh, I mean, he, he gains um, sons and daughters that he's redeemed and that he um, showers free, free, unrestrained, uncontrollable 
love on. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not, um, Calvin says something like his mercy does not um, have regard to our merits, but to our misery. And so he's, he's just pure compassion. And that's really hard for us to grasp, but that's the truth. And that's, mm-hmm. that's wonderful, wonderful to think about. Yeah. And so we see all of these truths, right? Created through Christ, upheld by Christ. And then that wonderful truth that we've been talking about in Romans mm-hmm. 8 and all of this working together for, for our good, you know, and you contemplate for a little bit, just who am I, who, who am I that God would care about my, my good. And that's a question that some people can't get past, right? They think if there is a God that he doesn't care about, he's not going to care about me. There's bigger things. Mm-hmm. You know, we start to think of God like a president, you know, we have the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. What's he care about me? I mean, he might care for the greater good, but that doesn't mean that's going to be good for me necessarily. Uh, and so that's how we start to think about God. But the Bible tells us very differently. Like God cares about you so much. It says in uh, Psalms 139 that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He took great care and detail mm-hmm. in making you exactly how you are. Um, God has chose where you are going to be born, you know, who your parents were going to be, all of this is part of God's plan. So to say he doesn't care is just not true biblically. And then on top of that, he's given creation to point you to him. He's given us his word to, to know him and to know his son uh, and to be justified. He, right, he continues to pour blessings out to be able to breathe and to think and to walk and all these different things. Everything is working okay. for us to see him. Right. I think one of the things, too, is <clears throat> um, when we think about God, um, God chooses to uh, show himself to us and he, as it were, hides himself in all sorts of places that we wouldn't expect him to. Because if I can say a blasphemous thing, if we were God, there's a chance that we wouldn't dare uh, condescend and stoop down to come down to the creation. But God tells us that whenever we uh, hear have the rain fall on our face, it's him sending the drops upon it. Whenever he causes the, the crops to grow, he's actually intimately involved in causing the corn and the beans and everything to grow. When the sun comes out, it's there because he intimately is there bringing the rays of light to your face. Um, whenever your heart pumps blood, it's because he's right there causing and upholding your body. So he's actually quite close to us. That's why Paul will say he's not far from each one of us because naturally we think God's way off out there and I can never find him. But actually this understanding of creation shows how intimate and how close he is uh, to us. Um, And he hides himself in all of these very ordinary ways. He hides himself in a mother who changes a baby's diaper. He hides himself in a, in a husband who brings flowers to her, to his wife. Um, He hides himself whenever a child does its best uh, homework and gets an A on a report card or a B or whatever it is. He's hiding himself all over the place in all the ordinary things that we would think he doesn't do it. And all those things are material things. Not that he's material, but that he works through all of those things and he's present in and with creation. And so then on top of that, we find him hiding himself most of all in the most least likely place, and that's in the cross of Christ where we would never expect God to be. We would never expect him to be that humble and that loving and that compassionate to put himself in a crib and to then let himself be um, under the tutelage of a sinful human mother for 30 years, you know, or whatever, and then to hang on a cross 
and to put up with all a bunch of sinners who are mocking him and despairing and abandoning him. We would never expect God to do that. But he's right there in the creation. And so now I, j- I just think that this, this doctrine actually, if we were to reflect on what you're saying, Tim, about God's generosity in creation, it's his generosity, but it's also a very intimate and compassionate generosity. He is so close to us. We just don't acknowledge it, and we're so blinded because we're so selfish that we don't take time to just recognize what's what's outside of us and look at it and be overwhelmed by God's goodness and creation in providence, and then also in, ultimately in redemption, which is the restoration of providence and creation. Mm-hmm. Not the abolishment, but the restoration and the full renewing of it. I just think all those things are very important, and, and it shows how, how we have such a, a close God to us. He's not far off, but he's near. And something, you made this point in your sermon, I believe, Tim, of that God is even showing his, his um, generosity towards us in not returning yet. Yeah, He's in, showing his generosity to the lost. To the lost, yes. For sure. Yes, so it's like where we is, we might be tempted to step back and say, like, what are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just, it's his, it's his generosity. It's his grace and his mm-hmm. kindness. Yeah. Giving. The Bible tells us, right, to pray that Christ would return, yeah, to look yeah. after. So it's not a bad thing to yeah. do that. I'm just saying, and but him it, holding off. Yeah. It, but it's like, I was thinking of that because like, even like, you know, you talk about like the rain falling on your face mm-hmm. and like, you know, studying hard, getting the good, like right. those are good things. But it's like, even in actually, like you think of like, well, where is God's generosity and like the suffering that I'm experiencing in this world? Like, where is, where is the generosity in that? Well, one, the Bible tells us that he uses that to transform us and to teach right. us. Mm-hmm. And so he actually is being very generous to you and kind. Yeah. But it's also, he's being generous to other people, you know, in that as well, giving them opportunity still to hear the gospel, to repent of their sin, to trust in him, to bring yet more children in, right? And, uh, and I thought that was a really good point that you made, that even in God's delay, right? That what we see is delay. It's mm-hmm. his perfect timing. But even in God's delay of the the consummation of the plan of redemption, mm-hmm. uh, he's being very generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard it said before to not waste your suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, you said that God will use suffering to mold us and to shape us and to grow us, help us to grow closer to him. And uh, I think that's what a lot of Christians struggle with today is they don't allow suffering to do its work. Instead, they just sit in the suffering, and they just see suffering for what it is. I'm just, I'm just suffering, mm. and they don't ever get past that. They don't ever get past that moment to say, "Well, there must be a reason for this." And don't get me wrong; some people's suffering lasts a lot longer than other people's, especially like I think of people with just chronic pain. Yeah, I, uh, I listened to a podcast. It might have been on like the TGC podcast, but it was of a youth speaker or something this past week when I was mowing my grass and. You he mowed was, your grass? I did. Oh. Believe it or not, I mowed wow. my grass. Big I, day. Didn't, I didn't make my wife do it for me this time. Good night. Yeah. But, uh, Good step you know, forward. It's that, it's that day of the month that I mow the grass. <laughs> no, but I was mowing the grass, and I was listening to this guy, and he was talking about the struggle of uh, anxiety and depression in youth specifically. And he was tying it to their absolute fear of exp- or like um, just the, the culture that we've created that you must avoid pain at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that is the life of, ang- of ridden by anxiety. If you're trying to constantly avoid mm-hmm. experiencing pain, whatever kind of pain that is, emotional, physical, whatever, you're just going to constantly be anxious and trying to avoid mm-hmm. it. And then the problem is when you finally do, 
experience it and you can't get away from it, that's when depression sits in because you start wondering, well, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with me? Why is God angry at me? Mm-hmm. And all those things. But that's what he was talking about. Instead of like what he was advocating for is giving youth specifically a vision of trouble and pain in the world in a way that is redemptive and good. And you should actually press into pain a lot of times because it's good for you and it develops you. God uses it, Scripture says. But I was just saying that because you brought it up. Yeah. Well, as we get to the end, uh, one of the passages that for me, when I think of like how can the how can we be encouraging to fellow Christians uh, and thinking about the generosity of God, or just even in general, uh, all the time, my mind almost always goes to Romans eight of where we are uh, at the end, because it does say all things are working together for good for those who love God and who are called according according to His purpose, but. He said, it keeps going, um, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this little section can cause uh, hours of debate, I know, amongst people, just because of the words like foreknew and predestined. But you're missing the big point. It's saying... That those who God saves will 100% be finished all the way to glorification. It's a done deal. It's sealed. And this shows the great generosity of God. It's nothing that's going to be took back. That's not going to be took away from you. It's, it is yours, and it's sealed, and it's promised. And that's why then Paul would go on at the end, to keep going. I think it's worthy of, of reading uh, the rest of Romans 8, which should, again, speak to God's generosity. Because he then says, if this is true, if, if we are going to be glorified, if we've been called and foreknew and predestined and justified, all this, if all this is true, Paul asks a, a, a good question. What then shall separate us? Well, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, what in the world then can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justified, who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, this is what we've been talking about, right? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. How? In Christ Jesus our Lord. So that that same Christ Jesus who creation was made through, the world is being upheld by, because we are in him, nothing will ever separate that. And so since we can't be separated... As Paul said, God's going to give us all things. You start talking about God's generosity. All things are mine. Absolutely everything is mine. The trees, the hills, the cattle on the hills, which are God's and he knows, those are mine. Well, why? Because I'm in Christ. Because he saved me, he's justified me, he's glorified me, he's brought me into his family, he's adopted me, and it is all, it's all 100% mine. Does that mean Scott can use your zero turn anytime he wants to? I would love for him to mow his yard more often. 
Because it's maybe his. if that is your turn, I would. <laughs> it's it's yours. It's yeah, mine. There you it's go. It's yours. We have to find our trailer though, because <laughs> I don't technically own a trailer. But yeah, they are all mine. You do. They're all yours. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope people hear that and know that you know as we as we move forward, thinking about us and giving and all this that we're going to talk about and stewardship, we. We serve a God who has laid the foundation for us of what giving and generosity looks like and the fact that he's given us everything, absolutely everything. And as we'll see, I'm sure, as we go through the series, I don't have it all mapped out, but as Christians, we say, God, all I have is yours because you've given it to me. And we trust him fully with everything, with our life, with our kids, with our wives, with uh, with our money, with our resources, with with everything we have. And we 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 have to realize that He's given those things to us, and they're they're His, right? And so uh, I think this is why this has to be the foundation of first seeing, look how generous God is, and let's, uh, let's sit in that for a little bit. And so I know that we'll sit in that probably at least one more week, if not two more weeks, uh, just contemplating God's generosity and seeing it. And this week, uh, this coming week, seeing it more uh, through Christ and what he has done for us in salvation. Uh, and so I look forward to that, uh, doing that. You guys got anything else at all? No? All right. Well, I'm glad that you listened. Glad you joined us uh, here today just doing this little sermon recap. Uh, we hope that you are having a good week and hope that you have the, the rest of the week is, is good and blessed. We have a busy weekend uh, here at the church, we have our women's conference. Looking forward to that. Got a lot of women signed up. Uh, should be should be a good time. So you can be praying for that uh, if you're listening before Friday or Saturday, which is when it'll be. Um, but we do look forward to seeing you on Sunday as well. So we hope to see you here at church. Uh, but until then, we hope that you have a, a great week. God bless.